am a speaker, consultant, and author who helps marketers and other creators unlock their creativity. Too is the reality is if you are creating anything, if you have an email newsletter, if you are active on social media, if you have signage in your storefront, you are creating content. So you might as well think about that critically and put some strategy and effort and intention behind it. We saw that on Instagram, people were posting pictures of their newspaper, you know, with their coffee in the morning or reading it outside on the porch or, you know, pointing to an article that they liked. Um, their crossword puzzle that they finished and they were posting it naturally. This was an, a behavior that was happening. So what we did is create a dedicated Instagram account, my NY times, where we would repost those user photos when they were showing us like, this is my print paper out in the world. And people loved it rather than trying to make users create content, figure out what content your users like to create and find a way to elevate that. Alternate profession could have been. Ballerina. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> one thing no one knows about you. <laughs> hmm. Um, I can speak sign language. Hello, fellows. Welcome to the next episode of Jagged with Just Ravi. You want conversations at the cutting edge with thought leaders from the branding, marketing, and the business world? Subscribe to my channel. Conversations that ignite new ideas, ideas with rough and sharp edges. Hi, Melanie. Thrilled to have you on my show. Thanks for having me. Okay. If I requested you to tweet your profile, what would you say? That I am a speaker, consultant, and author who helps marketers and other creators unlock their creativity. Awesome. And we are going to benefit from it in every way possible. Uh, we are not just going to get some hacks. We are going to get a framework that, that will fuel um, content creation. And, and I think that's much needed in today's times because that that's a struggle area. Before that, Melanie, I'm very curious because you've talked about the fact that you, you've been a journalist. Mm -hmm. And that then you moved into branded content and then, you know, uh, writing books. And there, there yeah. are two, two books that we will touch upon. When you say a journalist's uh, required for content making, you know, mm. what is that extra lens or, mm. or perspective that a journalist brings? I want to start with that. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't say it's required necessarily, but I do think that journalists have a lot of skills that they can bring to the table when we're talking about marketing and content marketing. So one of those is that uh, we are used to working on tight deadlines. And, you know, generally that means we produce work pretty quickly, which we all know it's a, a fast moving pace and limited resources. So the ability to produce content quickly is, is you know, a great asset. Um, but also we're used to hunting for the story. And most journalists, you know, that I that I know of, and, and certainly my background, we're not taught that stories are rare, or hard to find, or, you know, limited in any way, we wake up every day and have to find new stories. So there's this uh, optimism that comes with that of knowing that there's always a story to tell. And so it kind of helps counteract uh, some of the feelings you sometimes get if you are in a content marketing program feeling like, I'm saying the same things all the time. I'm telling the same stories. I don't know what to say. I don't know where the story is. 
uh, journalists will always seem to find a way to find a new way to tell that story, a new perspective, uh, a new approach. And I think that kind of uh, fresh, you know, fresh perspective is really helpful. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, Melody, isn't it also true that they have a knack, journalists have a knack for how to make it, uh, give it a color that it be relevant today that readers would want to read it. So that, yes. you know, the same story, you can make it relevant at different points in time because like you're in touch with the vibe or you're in touch with what people are reading or, or what's being talked yeah. about. Absolutely. Yeah. So a journalist, you know, if um, they're used to finding out why is a story compelling. So it could be that it's really timely, that this is what people are talking about right now. It could be that they've identified that this is something that that has a, a big impact on people, that it's very interesting to them for that reason, because it holds a lot of, of risk or potential. Um, and it could just be that they know, start to recognize what's entertaining, what's interesting, and what's unique. And sometimes, you know, if we're inside the brand, if you're coming purely from a sales and marketing perspective, it's harder for us to see that about our own stuff, right? Because it all, it you know, it's all interesting to us as, as the brand marketers. And so if you are coming from a bit of an outside perspective with the journalist, they're able to say, okay, I noticed this, and this is something I've not seen before. This is probably going to be interesting to people. So figuring out how to tell those stories in a really compelling way uh, is usually a skill that that journalists come, you know, sort of pre-built with. Yeah. Isn't that priceless for content writing? And I would say it's required. Journalists required on content team. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, unlimited story ideas. I mean, the moment you say unlimited, oh God. Isn't that tempting? <laughs> yeah. So unlimited story ideas and, and you have uh, built a framework um, that can give you 100 ideas straight away, like just mm -hmm. mix and match, mix and match. And, you know, so why don't you share first how you came across this? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how it breaks some myths, you know, like. Yeah, on content marketing, there's a lot of myths about it. It requires this. It it doesn't require this. You know, you should take people fresh out of college to do it uh, because yeah. you know, pace is required. And marketing team thinks that you know it's a different hat. Or sometimes I think that you know content is uh, how do you make it on brand? Uh, how much on brand? You know, all, all those. Yeah. So break some myths for us first, <laughs> and then let's talk about the framework. Over to you. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of questions in there, right? I think the a good place to start is uh, there's this kind of idea across society, not just in marketing, but certainly in marketing as well, that creativity or, you know, generating new ideas is something that's only for like a certain type of person, that there's this like creative person, this subtype of people, and they are the only ones who are coming up with all these ideas. And I find that a lot of times folks who are in in sales or customer service or communications PR, they don't think of themselves as creative people. And certainly, you know, in certain parts of marketing as well, if you're doing media planning or, you know, you're an account manager, you may not think that, well, I'm the creative in this situation because we often have creative directors, right? There's like the designated creative person. Um, but truly creativity is something that we are all capable of. It is uh, sort of a mental model, a skill, just like anything else. And so when we're talking about coming up with content ideas, um, one of the reasons people struggle is because they're often 
coming up with ideas and judging those ideas at the same time. So what we want to do is separate those two processes and really focus at first on just volume and novelty. Let's come up with a bunch of new ideas. And then when we have so many to choose from, it becomes much easier to choose which are the right fit for us you know, which is going to be most impactful for our business. So when you have that process and when you take the judgment out of that process of generating story ideas, and it becomes a lot easier for even someone who doesn't consider themselves a creative to answer a prompt like that. It, it gives some guidance for that whole process. And that just makes it a whole lot easier for anyone to contribute to that process. Wow. Wow. So I, I like it that you make it sound so simple, but no, not, not, not everybody can do it. <laughs> like like yeah. the skill of writing too, I mean, it requires a lot of practice. And, and sure. yeah, but yeah, maybe at a content level, generating ideas, uh, you know, it, it can be simpler than it's made out to be uh, with a framework. So let's go to the yeah. frame. Huh? Okay. Yeah, so the, the basis of the content field framework, which is the name of the book, if you want to go deeper, um, that really came from working in, I was doing a lot of workshops with, you know, uh, corporations, with, you know, marketing teams, sales teams, um, and them asking, like, well, how are you coming up with these ideas? Where does this come from? And so that's where the framework really is. It's sort of me taking that process out of my brain and, and putting it down on paper. And the first thing to understand is that uh, you know, we think of a content idea as one singular thing, like here's the idea in my hand, like this one idea. Um, but every content idea is actually made up of two pieces and together they form a content idea. So the first one is the focus. What are we saying? What are we talking about? You might call it the theme or the topic um, or the approach, right? Like what is it that we're actually saying? That's That's the first step. The second piece is the format. So now that we know what we're saying, how are we going to say it? How are we going to bring it to life as a written piece of content, as a video, as audio or something else? So those are the really, the, that's kind of the basis. Once you understand that, it becomes much easier to say, let's figure out what we're going to say. Let's choose our focus and then let's choose our format. And then, as you mentioned, it's just sort of mixing and matching to say focus one and format seven or focus three and format two. Uh, just kind of combining these different options uh, to come up with, you know, essentially prompts that can help you come up with content ideas for any event, any campaign, any purpose. Um, but that's the core understanding is if you've got focus and format together. And if you've got those two things, you can build from there. Great. You take the familiar five first and there are 10 formats and there are 10 the focuses. What, yeah. ty what type of um, yeah. uh, information or idea that we want to give. So. Let's pick it like this. I'll give you a scenario and sure. maybe two different scenarios and, and yeah, let my let my audiences get a flavor of how the focus shifts, you know, and, and what kind of questions you answered uh in your head and 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 then uh you know you approached it. So yeah. one is a nutraceutical, like there is a disease and there's a nutritional supplement. Like okay, let's take it diabetes. So this is a nutritional supplement to Mm -hmm. um manage it and the other is a uh, impulse category completely fun uh and it's ice creams mm. i love it <laughs> <laughs> so one is indulgence i'm not thinking health escape mm -hmm. comfort and the other is mm -hmm. oh my god i'm anxious and you know like the frame of mind is completely different maybe the t-shirt sure. also completely different you yeah know? so since our idea is to focus on some of the formats and some of mm -hmm. the content yeah uh, we can play with it here how how howsoever you find um useful 
Sure. Yeah. So uh, to sort of set the stage before we come up with examples live, um, the focuses are many of them are things you're familiar with. It's just good to have sort of a shared language. So um, one of the focuses we recommend, for example, is people. So focusing on the people who are involved in any particular story you're trying to tell. So imagining our, our diabetes example, um, we could talk about the scientists who created, you know, or the nutritionists who created the supplement. What's their backstory? Why did they do this? Um, we could talk about our customers. You know, how important has it been to them to sort of have this change in their life? How, how has it benefited them? Um, we could talk to experts. Maybe there's, you know, they're not our scientists, but there are other, you know, influencers, scientists, other people we can turn to, uh, to tell their story as part of our broader story. So that's an example of applying the people, but you could also do a focus like history. So what's the history of diabetes, like understanding where this product falls in a greater context of what's available to, to, you know, assist with someone who's living with this, with this, uh, with diabetes, um, you could talk about the history of the product category. So we used to have these kinds of supplements and now we know better. And these are the kinds of supplements that are now recommended based on what we know now. So kind of going a, a historical approach. You could talk about the basics. So a basics focus is saying, what are the basic things that our audience needs to know about this? And so with diabetes, for example, um, you know, there may be a need to understand how does a supplement impact your blood sugar and what does it matter whether you should take it in the morning or at night with food or without, um, you know, how do you integrate a supplement with other things, you know, as part of your diabetes, you know, lifestyle and treatment plan. So just kind of like basic understanding to help them get more information. So those are three different focuses you could take uh, with uh, the diabetes example. Uh, with our ice cream example, um, we can do those same ones, of course. So you could talk about like the founders of the company. So um, Ben and Jerry's, if anyone is familiar, is obviously a very founder centric. They talk about Ben and Jerry, right? We know that they're real people and, and where that comes from. So that's a, you know, people content, uh, people focused content for that. But process content would be really interesting as well. So process focused content is when you're talking about uh, any steps to any kind of process. So that could be um, sort of a recipe, you know, how to make your own whipped cream to go with, uh, you know, go with your ice cream. It could be behind the scenes showing how they make the ice cream or behind the scenes of how they choose the flavors or the names of the flavors if they have interesting names. Um, so we have, we did history, we did uh, process and people. I mean, there's lots of different ways you can approach it, but off the top, that's just sort of saying, okay, even though these are very different products, um, and even though there's lots you could say about it, going through that list of focuses as a sort of prompt to say, okay, could we do a people-focused story? Could we do a basics-focused story, a history-focused story, a process-focused, and just running through those different options kind of helps spark new ideas that you can continue to build on, um, especially in a group environment where it's really fun to throw out ideas and, and kind of build on one another. So that would be that first step of coming up with different prompts according to the focuses. What could we talk about about these two topics? Yeah, so so this framework is so um, useful. You know, I think anybody immediately, the moment they look at it, they're like, oh my God, I feel sorted. You know, <laughs> I am <clears throat> sorted. Like you started with the fact that how do we keep it fresh? How do we, like it's the same information and yet I want my audience to feel uh, that this this is interesting. I want to read it. Oh, this is something yeah. new. Like when you, when you said people, most uh, 
you know, nutrition supplements for condition based, think about a day in the life or for a testimonial, you know, it stops there or, or, uh, or an expert talking about it. So this, this whole thing uh, about, you know, history or origin story, I don't know if, 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 if that's, that's your separate, um, you know, uh, same thing. category. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. It's so interesting that it's going to actually energize your own um, company also that, okay, we didn't yeah. know that. And, and stories anyways are exciting and that can so differentiate your brand and product. Having a list to, to, to make sure that, oh, I have it. Oh, we haven't done this. We haven't done this. We haven't done this. Yeah. It's, it's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. And that's the cool thing is that's just the first part of the process, right? That's just, you're coming up with a bunch of focus ideas and each of those focus ideas could come to life in a bunch of different formats. Uh, yeah. So, you know, one of the examples you mentioned, like the history of the of the supplement, for example. Mm -hmm. So that history, uh, history focused content, could we could do it as an article, right? Written content, mm -hmm. you can just write out the history like you might. Um, you could do a video that uses different footage and shows examples and, and give the history through video. You could do um, an interview uh, audio style, like, you know, like a podcast interview. Um, mm -hmm. That would be an audio. You could do a live video where you're at an event and you're talking to experts. Tell me about the history, you know, of this particular thing. Uh, you could do a timeline. You could plot it all out on a visual timeline with the different dates and what happened at those different dates. So that's mm -hmm. one focus, mm -hmm. you know, one idea that's that's focused on history. But you could create 10, 20, 50 pieces of content about that history that are all different, that are all coming to life in unique ways, appealing to different audiences. So that's where the the unlimited element comes in yeah. because if you think of i mean we came up with maybe six or so examples um of different focuses for those two products if each of those could be created in 10 or so different formats then we just had 60 ideas right there with just six focus ideas right by pairing them with all the different formats so that's where i think the magic starts to happen is you start to say oh my goodness like we have all these different approaches we could take and they can all come to life in so many different ways. And you continue to build going back and saying, oh, yes, I hadn't considered that, you know, for people focused content, we could also talk to the people who work in the in the, you know, the factory packaging the content there. They may have interesting stories or we could talk to, uh, you know, the the people who. Uh, host our ice cream in their grocery store. You know, why do they choose to keep our ice cream there in the store? You know, you find more people and it kind of bounces back and forth to just keep building. Now, uh, there was another aspect where, where you talked about data. So data, and, and when you talked about emerging trends in your industry, how is it that it's not used at all? I mean, it's used <laughs> very little because... Yeah. You know, I, I did a little survey uh, in my consulting and talked to very few people that when you're online and they have diabetes, what is it that you are on the lookout for that, you mm. know, what kind of titles you are definitely going to check it out. And mm. one of the things was that a new drug has come or uh, some some uh, new measuring uh, method is there. Uh, something new where it, it essentially gives them hope, right? Mm -hmm. That, yeah. that, yeah, there's a better cure coming or, or, or I'm going to get better or this is going to be more in control, you know, and it doesn't have to be about your product, but just your industry. And yeah. you are doing a service uh, and you're making a content that has value for the consumer. How do you yeah. go about 
and uh, and you're talking about curation as well mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. uh, again i think very very underutilized mm. uh you know how do yeah. you make the most of uh these kind of formats yeah so so those we talked those are two focuses there so we have curation and data um and those two focuses i think as you said really underutilized so when you're looking for data the question to be asking is how should we tell this story through numbers so that could be emerging trends um with your your supplement it could be talking about sort of the nutritional information that's numerical you could be talking about how many people you've helped about the percentage of of benefit you know that they are you know their sugar levels are x percent better right so you can kind of look at all those numbers about it how many have you produced right in your entire history uh, how many people have you helped we see those kinds of big numbers often um in more of like a b2b context we have helped x clients but we don't always see that in b2c so that kind of thing is uh really helpful um a really good example of this actually is uh if anyone uses canva the design tool um they recently announced that they have hit 15 billion designs has been created on canva so they had a lot of content around that number of 15 billion what does that look like why is it so important so that's great data focused content um curation is really you're doing the job as you said of of providing a service you're collecting relevant information so really tangible examples could be um 10 foods affecting your sugar levels that you didn't realize were affecting your sugar levels right for our diabetes supplement or six things you can do to maintain your sugar levels during the holidays so we're kind of curating a list of things it's not always a numbered list but many times it is um you know here's some books you should read podcasts you should listen to you're just sort of being a collector of resources and and much like a museum curator you're gathering the most relevant most helpful most interesting and presenting that value to your audience so really interesting approaches that you can take you know again people history basics data curation all different ways that you could approach any story and um i think that uh curation especially is is very limited resources are needed for that because oftentimes you're curating other people's things you're recommending other books you're recommending other articles you're recommending recipes that someone else has created for example so curation is a really great tool uh, especially if you're low on resources sometimes like a brand wants to take on expertise mm-hmm. right especially like in the otc scenario where yeah. only doctor is the expert typically and now in otc mm-hmm. you want the brand to be the expert so i am telling yeah. and 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 would you be sharing expertise with other uh you know sources when you curate or would you be actually adding on to yours how does it really work so truthfully it works in both ways so when we think about the way that our audience sort of comes to trust that we have expertise there's lots of different ways you can do that um sometimes just by being the person who's curating the resources clearly you know what you're talking about right clearly you've done the research same thing with data oh this person has crunched the numbers they've looked at the trends they understand um you know this brand is making recommendations of how to make my life easier how to you know better manage this condition the expertise is built into that without having to say doctor so and so recommends the following thing they still have that perception uh of your of your leadership in that area because you're providing information on that topic. So really you could use any of these different uh focuses and formats to to showcase your expertise. 
when it's curation, it's always good to include a mix. Um, when you include other people's content, you know, other books or, for example, if I did a list of books you should read about marketing and it was only my own books, you would be like, well, that, of course, I don't know if I could trust this list because, of course, it's only your own. If I did a list of 15 books you should read and only one of them was mine, you're probably okay with that. It's more, you're more likely to trust it because we've provided other value outside of just ourselves. So, you can include your own expertise and supplement it with other expertise as well when you're doing curating, and that can actually increase the trust with your audience. And another um, image gallery, it is amazing. Like, like I don't think it's being used much. Absolutely, yeah. So image galleries is one of the ways we could bring any of those ideas to life. So coming back to some of the examples we we had, um, you know, talking about the history, you could do that as each event has its own image, right? Your own graphic, right? This is what happened in 2010. This is what happened in 2013 and, and have separate image for each event of your history. Um, the people, you could have the people that are giving you quotes and, you know, their photo and their quote on different graphics and show all those quotes together. Um, when you're creating on Instagram and you're uploading multiple photos at once and that sort of swipe gallery, that's an image gallery. I think the reason I went with calling it image gallery is because, of course, you could use one image by all means, use one. But I think everyone defaults to one image. You know, I'm creating this content and I just need to have a header image on my blog post or I just need an image for the cover of this ebook. And we kind of forget that those photos can be even more valuable when there's a whole group of them. And it's really interesting that you say it's it's underutilized because in the early like 2013, 2012 sort of era, um, folks like Huffington Post and BuzzFeed, I mean, they had tons of these galleries, right? Slideshows of 50 photos of Kim Kardashian. No reason, just 50 photos of Kim Kardashian, you know, or the, the 25 best looks from the red carpet just in a slideshow. But yeah, we sort of moved away from that. And I think we've we it's a missed opportunity to showcase a lot of value in one place. I highly recommend people who are in the content, and I think everybody's in the content business. If you're in marketing, you are in content business today. You cannot do without it. And yeah. uh, I mean, if you understand it, you know, your your marketing and your brand communication also becomes uh, clearer in the head in terms of what role it is going to play. You know, content is a brand in pajamas every day <laughs> and and the brand communication is like you know on an event uh, yeah. on a big event it's all dressed up yeah and, you know? so i love that <laughs> I, and i i always say too is the reality is if you are creating anything if you have an email newsletter if you are active on social media if you have signage in your storefront you are creating content so you might as well think about that critically and put some strategy and effort and intention behind it because you're doing it already. So you just want to make sure you're doing it in a way that supports your broader business goals. Right. Uh, I loved how you made, uh, how you talked about um, quiz and you know, like, yeah. like it doesn't have to be this and just this, you know, it can be anything that requires some bit of an answer and you're already solved it midway. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was There's, amazing because people don't do it that, oh, this, this, how are we going to plan it, organize it, 10 questions, yeah. 10 answers. And, and, if, and if people don't participate, then it's a waste, you know. Yeah, I think. The, I love sort of in the in the book, you know, I go through the like you said, there's there's common formats like writing, video, audio. We all know those were familiar. But then there's some like, you know, a timeline, a map, a quiz that people don't really think about. And it can be a really great way to differentiate. So 
yeah, there's different ways with the quiz. You could do one of my favorite applications of using the quiz format is helping people decide what's right for them. So, you know, whether that's uh, for our ice cream thing, let's go to that one for some fun. Um, maybe a series of questions saying, do you like salty or sweet? Uh, do you prefer chocolate or caramel? Do you prefer, you know, um, smooth ice cream or chunky ice cream? And by answering those questions, they could say, well, we recommend our triple caramel chocolate swirl flavor for you. Um, that I mean, that's fun. It's not a correct answer thing. It's really just helping them align with the right product for their needs. You could do the same thing for a running shoe. You know, are you running inside or outside? Are you taking long runs or sprinting and, and recommend the correct running shoe? Um, so there's lots of opportunity there that gets them further down the funnel. You're getting them that much closer to a purchase now that they know what might be a good fit. But you can also test their knowledge. So um, with our, our diabetes example, it's easy to say, how well do you know the foods that affect your blood sugar? And it's a little quiz, you know, would using this this topping, you know, make your sugar rise or decrease? You know, what's the long term? If you can kind of just test their knowledge. And the wonderful thing about quizzes that I think is is so undervalued is that at the end, you give them an answer, but you can also give them next steps that are engaging with your brand, engaging with more content. So when they complete their ice cream uh, ice cream quiz, maybe you then tell them, here's the store nearest you, you know, enter your, your address, here's the store nearest you where you can get that flavor. Um, or, you know, here's how to add it to your card if you're ordering online. With our diabetes example saying, it looks like you know a lot about this topic, so great job, but you did miss a few questions on this, so let's make sure you understand how well to measure your sugars, right? Kind of giving them further information or schedule a call with one of our nutritionists to help get a better understanding of how we can, you know, improve that. Um, there's so once they've invested by giving time and, and learning, they trust you as an expert because you've just given them useful information. Um, they're engaged with you as a brand and they are looking for next steps like, okay, now what? Now what do I do? How do I order that ice cream? How do I order that running shoe? How do I, you know, work this supplement into my uh, you know, my lifestyle, or how do I determine how to fix the knowledge gap? Because clearly, I don't understand this part of it. Um, so being able to provide uh, those different benefits, the next steps is is something that that helps you and it helps the customer. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and getting them to invest in you or in your process is the biggest task. Um, yeah. So another question is coming. So there, so there are yeah. 100 ideas, 10 mm -hmm. formats, 10 uh, focus areas, right? Mm -hmm. Should you should you try all? Should uh, like should you experiment and see what's working? Because the TG type, like you know, like the ice cream, uh, and and yeah. there could be a cone variant which works with younger people more. Yeah, and yeah. Diabetes is going to be like a mature audience. So, mm -hmm. or uh, and, and and should you be alternating with some method uh, so that you cover all for freshness? How would you? Uh, you know, advice that people approach it? So the, the answer with much of marketing is always, it depends. And I don't want to prescribe one, one medication for all of the audience, right? When they may have different nutritional needs, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but I would recommend at least trying to come up with ideas within all the focuses and all the formats. You don't necessarily have to move forward with them, but in trying to come up with a quiz idea, you may come up with an amazing blog idea or video idea that you do execute. It can really build on itself. So I do recommend trying to use the different prompts to make sure you have diversity of thought that you're thinking of different types of content. 
Um, but there's a couple of things that are going to impact which you choose. Um, obviously your resources, do you have the tools to make a map or a quiz or a timeline? Maybe you don't have a designer on staff who's able to make the designs that you have in your head. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you, you don't have access to the people that you would need to talk to for your people-based story. So there's going to be just limitations of your reality that kind of help guide you toward which ones are realistic. Um, and then just, of course, the amount of time in a day, you know, um, you may not be able to make all of these things. You may have to choose three or five priorities to focus on. So uh, all of those things are going to be different, but you want to focus on the ones, again, that, like you said, that you believe your audience will really deeply engage with and then be listening and checking your data after each new new experiment. If you try a new focus, a new format, you want to be looking back at that a week, a month later and say, okay, wow, people really engaged with that quiz. Maybe we should do another quiz. It seems like that's a good way for us to engage our audience. I love this. Depends. <laughs> it always depends. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, what to do? Yeah. It's always yeah. true. Okay. Mm-hmm. You talked about resources, and I think you have talked about resources as a multiplier as well, mm-hmm. if I'm right. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get into multipliers very soon. Yeah. Before that, there's something you said, user-generated content. Now, that's that's like every marketer saying, we want more interaction. We want more organic yeah. reach. You know, we mm-hmm. want more user-generated content. So how do you do that? What are the myths there? What do people don't get? This is a tough one. So I hope I hope that it's not hurting anyone's feelings. But one of the biggest challenges with user-generated content is we see why it's helpful for us as the brand, why I want people taking pictures of our product. I want people talking about our product, but we really have to reverse engineer it. Why would someone want to talk about it? That's what we have to figure out. It's what they're doing, not what we want them to do. Ideally, what we want to do is identify an organic behavior that's already happening. What are they already posting about? What are they already talking about in this category? And tap into that rather than trying to manufacture, you know, hold up our product with hashtag, I love this product. It's, it's going to come off force. It's, you're not going to get a lot of engagement from people submitting or, um, you know, with the content when you post it because it's manufactured. One of the best examples that I can give for this is um, when I worked at the New York Times, we were trying to build the digital footprint of our print product. So we had the print newspaper, but people just sort of thought of like, well, if I'm in the real world, I'll read the print paper. If I'm online, I'll go to the website. We wanted to kind of bring those brands together. So we saw that on Instagram, people were posting pictures of their newspaper, you know, with their coffee in the morning or reading it outside on the porch or, you know, pointing to an article that they liked, um, their crossword puzzle that they finished, and they were posting it naturally. This was a behavior that was happening. So what we did is create a dedicated Instagram account, My NY Times, where we would repost those user photos when they were showing us, like, this is my print paper out in the world. And people loved it because they were doing it already. People were already sort of, you know, laying out their morning coffee, their breakfast, you know, whatever they're doing, reading in bed um, and taking cute photos. So now there's this added incentive to see other people are doing it and I might get featured. So we saw a massive uptick in that behavior because we knew it's something people already do. Now we're incentivizing it. Now we're creating a campaign around it. Um, So there's that can't. You know, it's still out there. If you go look for my NY Times on Instagram, you'll still see all the work we did to kind of build up that community and that behavior. So the the bottom line, the, the lesson here is rather than trying to make users 
create content, figure out what content your users like to create and find a way to elevate that. Mm. Isn't that a big tip? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle nudge. You can do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So multipliers. So multipliers. Yeah, we talk about mm. these in the book too. This is like uh, another special seasoning you can place on your, your content brainstorms. Um, there's a couple different multipliers. And I want you to think of a multiplier as a way to take one piece of content that's working well and reproduce that success. So and again, I'll give a tangible example of this. Um, when I was at uh, Time Incorporated, we had several magazines that centered around food. So recipe magazines, you know, health food recipes. Um, and what we found out for some reason, we did red velvet cupcakes, uh, you know, particular flavor of cupcakes. And it was, everyone loved it. It was getting so much traffic, so many shares. So what we did is we said, let's multiply that. Let's do red velvet pancakes. Let's do red velvet birthday cake. Let's do red velvet cookies, right? So <laughs> it's still red velvet recipe, but we're finding ways to adapt it so that we're carrying on that success in different contexts. So that's a really good example uh, of sort of using a multiplier on one successful piece of content. Uh, the way this could look like for our, um, our ice cream brand, for example, is um, if we did a behind the scenes video of how we make this flavor and people loved it, well, let's do how the other flavor and the other flavor and the other flavor, right? So we're taking what worked and just repeating it different ways. And uh, in the book, I give a couple examples of things you might use to, to multiply by. Um, one example is demographic. So uh, our example of, you know, change, changes to make, you know, to your, uh, maybe your holiday eat, eating planning, your holiday recipe planning, um, if you are uh, an adult with diabetes might be different than if you have a child with diabetes. Uh, it may be different between type one and type two diabetes, maybe different to your point as you know, seniors may have different nutritional needs. So it's you're making the same content, right things to change about your eating this this holiday season to, to manage your health better. But you're doing it for different people. So we have one list that's for children, one list that's for adults, one that's for seniors, one that's for people with type one, one that's for people with type two, uh, you know, one that's for if you're cooking for your whole family. So we need, you know, recipes that are in bulk. Um, maybe there's different, we do it for each different holiday season that people are up against, you know, winter holidays for Ramadan, for, uh, you know, for your Christmas planning, you know, you're just sort of looking at all the different holidays and the specific food challenges. So again, it's that one idea that we said, you know, we're going to do how to change your eating for the holiday season. But now we've got 10, 12, 20 different pieces of content that would appeal to different segments of our audience or different types of our customers. Yeah. So it's just a, one example of taking something that works and multiplying it. In that case, it was by the demographic, by who it's for. I love this, you know, because most of the times, Melanie, people shy away from it. You know, they're like, oh, this yeah. worked, this worked. Now, how do we recreate this? You know, yeah. And like first make the most of this. And, and it's not, yeah. you know, you, you make it sound so simple, but it's not, it's not intuitively something that comes to people that, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's try this with a different segment. Let's make them, let's, yeah. okay, let's just format different part, like a yeah. pancake. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, that could, and you know, it, it's, to your point about experimenting, like when the red velvet cupcake worked, if we had done a different cupcake recipe and saw, okay, well, that 
didn't so it must not be the cupcake element that people liked it must be the red velvet so let's repeat in that direction you can do the same thing with your content you know if you create the mm. you know holiday guide for type 1 type 2 adult and children and you see okay well you know the adult and the type 2 stuff isn't working but the type 1 and, and children stuff that's what we need so let's do more recipe guides for children since that's that seems to be what's you know that's the factor that's magic there so it's it's to me, it's a really fun process to be able to try new things, learn from it, and kind of create this web of connected content where you're learning from what's working and building on what's working. You you got to be like in it, you know, like sleeves rolled and <laughs> right, like yeah, dirtying well, your hands and like. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like to think of it as an opportunity, though. I know for some folks, it might sound at first overwhelming. Like we're not. I'm not saying you should make a hundred content ideas and I'm certainly not saying that you should even make 50 of them today, like start, start small, but then use these uh, different focuses and formats and multipliers as tools in your tool belt so that when something works and when you need something new to work, you have all these different ways that you can, you can build on it. You can try different things. You can experiment uh, and learn exactly what your audience likes most. Actually, Melanie, it makes it less overwhelming having a tool like this, you know, yeah. it, it makes it less overwhelming. But okay, fine, now I'll try it this way. Or, or yeah. now I'll try it this way, you know, like, uh, I didn't have this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So guys, check out the book. I mean, how much is Melanie going to tell here? <laughs> <laughs> how much am I going to ask? Oh, my God. Okay. But we have to touch upon the book too bit. Uh, so far, we were talking about the content fuel framework book. And mm -hmm. now it's uh, the second book, Prove It, where a mm -hmm. little bit, if you could touch upon how to apply strategies like corroboration, demonstration, and education to a marketing context uh, to Absolutely. show, not tell. Um, but yeah, so Prove It is a slightly different book. You know, Content Field Framework will really help you come up with lots of ideas. And the Prove It book should help you narrow down on which ones are going to be most impactful for your audience. And the idea there is that we should focus on the content that helps build trust with our audience because trust comes before every other metric. We don't buy from people we don't trust. We don't subscribe for people we don't trust. We don't, you know, uh, donate, order anything, people we don't trust. So trust has to come first. And the way we can build that trust, there's three types of content that help build that trust. Uh, corroboration content is when we are using other people's expertise, we're borrowing their expertise to make our content stronger. So this is when you interview those expert scientists about our new product that's coming out, or when you talk to the folks who manufacture the ice cream, the farmers who are, you know, getting the milk to make the ice cream, they're the experts in that case. So bringing them in and saying, this is actually what makes it so delicious, you know, their expertise goes to help build our trust with our audience. Uh, same thing with the scientists. Their expertise helps build our trust with our audience from the, the supplement example. Um, so that's corroboration. You know, you don't have to take my word for it. Here's some, some third parties I'm bringing in. Uh, the second one is demonstration. So that is, you don't have to take my word for it. You could see for yourself. Um, so this would be Let's see. I'm trying to think of an example for our supplements here. So if we're, let's let's go with the ice cream example. If one of the things we 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 say about our ice cream is, you know, it stays colder longer because we have amazing packaging. We've innovated in the packaging and it stays colder longer. 
then maybe the way to demonstrate that is to have a time-lapse video that shows a container of our ice cream and a container of the competitor's ice cream. And it shows over time the rate that they're melting. And you could see in the video right there on the screen that the other one melts very fast and ours is still going strong three hours later. Um, obviously, it's a very, a very specific example, but saying how can we show the audience that this claim that our ice cream stays cold longer uh, how can we show them like let's let them see it themselves so they don't even have to trust us they can trust their own eyes uh, and then that third category so we've got corroboration when we're using other people's expertise demonstration where we're showing it ourselves and then the third category education is where we show our trust by helping them learn uh, that many times our audience needs more information. So maybe in the case of our supplement, before they can buy a supplement from us, they need to understand how a supplement can help them manage their diabetes, how a supplement fits in with the other elements of their care plan, of their, their lifestyle changes, uh, what the supplement can and can't do. Uh, they need to understand how it's different from other supplements they may have tried that didn't work for them. So there's an education gap between their ability to, to understand our product well enough to buy it. And oftentimes education helps them close that gap to say, now I understand enough. Thank you for teaching me. Now I understand that I can trust you on this. So those are the three categories of content that work really well for that corroboration, demonstration, and education. And in case of education, there is basics and there is uh, more specifics. So guys, when you check out the book, you will know. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and those are the two books. Can you see behind Melody? Yes, right over here. <laughs> Content Fuel Framework, uh, How to Generate Unlimited Ideas, and then Prove It, exactly how modern marketers earn trust. <laughs> there was a very interesting aspect of how would you how would you demonstrate your connection to the community? Yeah, so there's, there's lots of ways to demonstrate that. So um, in the example here, we'd have some sort of claim like, from our ice cream uh, example, maybe that they use only local organic uh, milk from farms within a hundred miles of the factory. I don't know, that's their claim, that's what they're saying. So the way we can uh, talk about that and show it is to show our team on site with the farmers, show them getting a tour of the facilities, show them you know, explaining why they, they made these choices. Um, you know, if we were to import milk from this place, here's the difference that that would make in price or in taste or, you know, to our local uh, community. They can show uh, that they sponsor the local sports team. You know, they sponsor the, the high school uh, soccer team, um, you know, in their town, kind of looking for ways to, to show, to let them say, anyone could say that they care about their community, that they give back, that they... Uh, you know, that they know their customers personally, or they know their suppliers personally, how can we show that, like, really give them the evidence to say, look, we, we're not just saying we know our farmers, like, here's our CEO on, you know, on the farm with with the farmer, and they're laughing and having a great time, you know, so finding ways to to demonstrate that to show it instead of just say it. Awesome. Awesome. That's next. <laughs> that's next <laughs> so we took it literally rapid fire uh, yeah <laughs> you have to be fast and you cannot elaborate otherwise okay. i will have to be unkind and shoot okay mother's best advice trust yourself trust your gut alternate profession could have been ballerina <laughs> yeah <laughs> what would you do on mars for fun uh probably jump around a lot 
as per your partner, your most often used phrase? Mm, we're not saving lives here. <laughs> one thing no one knows about you. <laughs> hmm. Um, I can speak sign language. A book you'd like to gift to all your friends. It can't be your own. This one right here. Everybody writes by Anne Henley. Your new, your go-to guide to creating ridiculously good content. I do give this book away all the time. Oh, wow. Awesome. There should be a movie on this, you know, like anybody can dance. Anybody mm -hmm. can write. <laughs> yeah. 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 You've got to do that. Melanie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What would you tell your 18 year old self? It'll all work itself out. Oh, uh, your favorite childhood memory. Hmm. I, I used to really enjoy building things like building towers and blocks and things. So that's most of them are that legal, legal kind of a stuff. Huh? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. If you were to devote the rest of your life to philanthropy, what cause would you choose? Probably women's health in for vulnerable populations. So for the homeless or the less mm -hmm. fortunate, making sure they have access to women's health care. Awesome. Okay. What is your greatest joy? Hmm. I think the little one, hanging with the little one. What's her name? Layla. Okay. What's next? I am exploring a new book project and I'm hoping to dive deeper into demystifying creativity and creating systems to access it. Super. Looking forward to that, all of us. <laughs> So, uh, Melanie, you've got to share your uh, online addresses, emails. Yeah. Uh, how can people reach reach yeah. you? Yeah. So, so if you search for Melanie Diesel, D-E-Z-I-E-L, you will find me. I'm very search optimized. Uh, whatever platform, I'm probably the only one of me there. Uh, but my website is storyfuel.co, storyfuel.co. And that's where you can find out more about uh, hiring me for workshops or trainings uh, as a speaker, my books, find my social links, everything's there. I would say that this is, uh, I, I do a lot of interviews and you ask different questions, which I think is something really special about an interviewer. Uh, when you're listening to this show, you're going to hear answers that you're not hearing from every other show. So definitely make sure you, you subscribe so you're not missing all that unique advice. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Melanie. It was such a great time I had. And I, along with my audiences, learned a lot. And we feel empowered to handle the challenges of content in this agile marketing world. <laughs> Good. Thank you for letting me be part of your story. Mm -hmm.